Good afternoon. Welcome back to the 11th week in our summer series of the Gospel According to Jesus. Today we're going to be talking about one of the uh, uh, metaphors, not a parable, but a metaphor that Jesus used uh, with his disciples uh, following the Last Supper uh, and, and, then the, and preceding his uh, trip into the Garden of Gethsemane there. So before we get started doing that, let's go ahead and have prayer as we always do. Gracious Father, we thank you this day and every day for the merciful way in which you administer your grace and your goodness uh, to those who would call upon your name in the times of distress. And Father, we, uh, we know that your word teaches us that you do not willingly afflict or grieve your children, but yet, as we know from experience, that many are afflicted and many are grieved by the effects of sin that is in their life, and certainly that is in the world. So this afternoon we ask that you would look at uh, upon us with pity uh, and, the, and all of the sorrows uh, that we have, uh, and, and we ask, O oh, Father, that you would you would bless and keep those um, for whom it is our duty to pray. And Father, we ask that you would remember them in mercy that you would strengthen them in their persistence, in their patience, uh, that you would comfort them in, with the memory of your goodness and let your presence shine in them through your Son and our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. The vine and the branches. This metaphor, Jesus recited or, or talked about this metaphor uh, again, as they were leaving the upper room and as they were going to the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, one of the uh, recurring themes of the ministry in the ministry of, of the Lord Jesus Christ in his three years, probably one of the most often talked about things, uh, was the fact that uh, he was the absolute equality with God. Uh, he he re repeatedly affirmed his deity. And he spoke of it in the clearest of terminology. He said in John 5, 17, My father is working until now, and my, I myself am working. In John 8, 54, he says, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. In John 10, 30, he says, I and the Father are one. And, the, and then in, in John 10, 38, he also says, Though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Of course, this, this, this constant reaffirmation about his equality with God obviously was a sticking point and it certainly was a line that the Pharisees did not want him to cross. But he crossed it and he crossed it repeatedly. One of the things that he said and a number of times in the New Testament, which has its, his, uh, the precursor was that Moses in the burning bush in the Old Testament, when Moses asked the identity of who was speaking to him and God identified himself as being I am. In the New Testament, there were many, many places in the New Testament where Jesus uh, took that I am statements for himself. He said, I, I'm the bread of life in John 6, 635. In 
or in A12, he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And that's 651, I'm sorry. He says, I'm the light of the world. In 812 and 9.5, he says, I am the, 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 the door of the sheep pen. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. And this, this stunning, inescapable affirmation of deity in, in John 8.58, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Back over to 8.24, if you, if you look in your, your Bibles there, you will see that he, he made a, uh, an earlier statement with regard to those who heard him make those affirmations of I am. In John 8.24, he says, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins if you do not believe that I am. You will die in your sins. And so he was making an unequivocal statement there. Those who did not believe that he was and had an equality with God were going to die in their sins. And of course, that, that was sort of a, uh, a red flag for the Pharisees. And of course, that was one of the things that, that they were not going to let pass. Now, getting up to the point of the Lord's Supper, and the immediate aftermath, you can, we, we, can, we can read in, in uh, John that as he was leaving, the, he had he, the, the last, let's look at, if you will, uh, John, the 14th chapter. And this is uh, the, third, the 29th verse. I'll start there and then we'll come down from there. And now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise and let us go from here. So Jesus and his disciples rose from, from, the, from the sitting at the table in the, in the upper room, and they proceeded to leave the building and go toward Gethsemane. And it was during that trip to Gethsemane that he, he, he goes through this uh, metaphor and it, it gives a, 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 an additional insight into his, not only his claim, but also uh, what was going to be coming for them. So if you have your Bibles, look in John, again, the 15th chapter and verse 1 through 8. Here Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches." He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch. And he dries up and they gather them up and cast them into fire. And they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. By this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples." This epilogue, of course, 
is sort of a metaphor that, that speaks to the, the church age. If you're a dispensationalist, which, which some of you may, and some of you may not be, it doesn't really matter, but there's a, a period of time from the beginning of the apostles and, the, and uh, the, the, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Christ begins something called the church age, the beginning of the, of the early church, and then it really comes up until uh, to our current time because the church is still in the world. And so Jesus was trying to, through this metaphor, give them a picture of what it was going to be like, what that relationship was going to be like between himself and uh, the believers. Now, the cast, if you look at the metaphor, the cast has uh, several characters. Uh, and, and, of course, the true vine has its, its per precursory back in the Old Testament. Uh, you remember in the, in the Old Testament, the, the, the vine was considered to be Israel. Uh, the, the high priest, of course, was the, the, the high priest in the tabernacle. Uh, the light of creation was the light of the world. And, of course, the manna, uh, the manna from heaven, which were given to the Jews as they were wandering for 40 years in the desert. And so that kind of imagery, we bring it into the New Testament, and Jesus becomes the perfection of all those precursory events or, or terms that were used in the Old Testament. So this, the, the, the imagery is something every Jew would have been familiar with. Now the vine dresser, if we, we if you look at that, of course he immediately becomes recognizable, and of course as the father. The father is the vine dresser. Of course the, the vine himself, the true vine, is the son. And in the branches, there are two kinds of branches. There are the genuine branches, the fruitful branches, and the believers who believe through faith in Jesus to the Father. And so it's through that faith that the believers are united to uh, God himself. Believers united by faith to the Son and to ultimately to the Father. So it's, these are true believers. But at the same time, we know that there are some non-believers. There are what's referred to sometimes by some writers as Judas believers. Believers that are not united by faith to the Son. And of course, the other thing here that, that uh, the vine dresser does is he maximizes fruit via the pruning. John 15 talks about that. Um, John 15, 2, as he says there, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So there are fruitful branches that bear fruit. And those branches are the believers, those who are united in my faith to the uh, to the Father, and of course these branches are genuine Christians. A genuine Christians, we are by nature wanting to produce fruit for the kingdom of God. Ephesians 2.10, if we look over there, it, it tells us, let me unstuck here, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that, should we, that we should walk in them. God has provided or has, has not only equipped us with special gifts in order to do good works, but he has prepared the, the, the occasions for us in order to do those good works. And so as Ephesians points out, is that we are his workmanship. We, we are the, the embodiment of uh, his grace and his goodness and we have been created in him for good works. These are good works not for ourselves but for the kingdom of God. 
And so God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's what our life should be about as Christians, should be in, in trying to produce fruit for the kingdom because that's the nature of a genuine Christian. And of course it says about pruning, Hebrews 12, 6 and 7, if we turn over there, It says in verse 6, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. For if you endure, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? Verse 8, he says, But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Uh, of course. I don't know that there are many people in the, in the, in the Christian family who really look forward to chastening. Uh, even though we know by God's word that the chastening has a good uh, a result in us and that it drives us to do what God has created us for and that is to produce good works for his kingdom. And he, we, we, we do that, but he prunes us in order to get us to provide more good works for the kingdom or to do that. And so... That's our entire purpose as Christians in the kingdom, is to do that. Uh, it, it sort of boils it down to, to a, uh, a, a very clear and singular kind of, of, a, of, a, of life, if you will. Uh, and, and of course, sometimes that, of course, makes life simple for us. Other times it makes life more difficult for us. We also know that, that there are those that uh, he talks about here uh, in John that are not producers. Their nature is not to produce fruit. They're what's called the Judas branches. And you'll remember that uh, what happened to Judas. Judas wasn't at one of the disciples. Uh, Judas did not appear to be any different than any of the other disciples. None of the disciples suspected that Judas was not a producer of fruit for the kingdom. Uh, as a matter of fact, when Jesus said that there was going to be someone who was there that night at the, at, the, uh, at the Last Supper that was going to betray him, they all were just sort of dumbfounded. Who could it possibly be? Because everybody looked the same. Everybody had been about doing the same thing. Or so it appeared. Regrettably, I would have to say, and uh, that, that this, the same thing holds true pretty much for the church today. Uh, there, there are many people in the church who profess to be Christians, but whose lives, whose, whose branches are barren when it comes to producing fruit for the kingdom. That they look the same as everybody else. Uh, as a matter of fact, sometimes they might even look better. I've had a lot of, uh, well, I don't say a lot, but I've had some experience this summer and uh, in, in doing something which is relatively new for me, which is doing espalier of fruit trees. And one of the interesting things about espaliers of fruit trees is you have to do a lot of pruning to make sure that you do them right and that you get the maximum amount of fruit in a very limited amount of space. And that requires a lot of pruning. Things that I normally and historically in the past in my gardening have never thought about doing which is to cut off healthy-looking branches that are full and green and they look good and you think that, boy, those are going to next year, we're really going to have a, a lot of fruit. But the fact is, is that some of those branches are fruitless. They're not destined to produce fruit. Uh, they, they may produce a little chlorophyll and, and help to increase the, the survivability, perhaps, of the plant, 
but most of all, they, they just suck up energy rather than actually doing anything and producing fruit. So there are fruitless branches uh, that are counterfeit. These are Christians who take more away from the body, so just, like, just like limbs and trees and, and branches that produce no fruit in a, in a fruit tree. They take up more energy. They take up more sap. They divert all of that away from the producing uh, branches, and they just use it up. It's a distraction to the body. And again, I would have to say that, that certainly we, we probably, in our experience, have, have met people uh, who take away a lot of energy from the church. Uh, they, they have all the appearance, if you will, of being producing branches, but they just never seem to be able to produce anything of value to the kingdom of God. But yet at the same time, they take up a lot of energy, they take up a lot of time, they take up a lot of effort by the church to keep them uh, happy, to keep them supported, to keep them uh, involved. But for the most part, they are fruitless and they are counterfeit members of the body of Christ. Philippians 3, 18 and 19, and Paul here writing to the Philippians church. not one of those verses that you, you take great joy in. But Paul is here says, For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. There are people in the body of Christ who are enemies to the cross of Christ. And of course, as Paul says here, it makes him, that when he thinks about it, it makes him weep. He goes on in verse 19 to say, Whose end is destruction whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. Perhaps the worst part of that is that there are many. There are multitudes of fruitless, counterfeit Christians within the body of Christ. Mark 4 tells us what their end is. Mark 14, not Mark 4, but Mark 14, verse 21. Here he's talking, this is a reference by Jesus talking again by, uh, about Judas. And he has been asked to sort of elaborate on the, the one who's going to betray him. He says to them, he answered in verse, he says in verse 20, he said, he answered and said to them, it is one of the 12 who dips with me in the dish. They were going to dip their, their, their bread that they had in the dish, which had some sort of a, a sauce in it. And so he said, the one that dips it with me in the dish will be the one who will betray me. And then he goes on to say, the Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. And of course, we know what happened to Judas after he left and went to get his silver and, and ultimately um, met Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane where he kissed him on the cheek for the sign of the ultimate betrayal. And then what happened to him after that? But what Jesus is saying here 
it would be better for someone to have never known me than to know me and then to be one of these fruitless counterfeit Christians members of the body of Christ having professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and have been reconciled to God through that faith then to turn away or and somehow not not meet what Jesus has has to ordain for us to be as believers and that is to be fruitful and to produce good fruit uh, the fruits of the spirit as, as uh, the Bible tells us uh, those are the things that we ought to be producing we ought to be thinking about constantly consistently wondering what it is that we can do to provide fruit for the kingdom of God sometimes and especially in times like these when when we are by mandate or in other ways we feel obligated to stay at home and to self-isolate or to be quarantined and to uh, to reserve ourselves and to keep away from other people so as not to impugn on their, their particular space not with fear of, of having uh, done something that might be injurious to them uh, is that we do, we're not as close as that we normally are and we wonder well how can I still continue to be productive in the kingdom of God while all of these other things are, are, are keeping me from or at least it appearing to keep me from being able to do those things so that is, that is the, the, the metaphor uh, it, it speaks to again what we're to be doing in the church age in terms of uh, what our lives are to be like how are we going to live out what we've been called to do in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and we should be doing by virtue of our uh, un unity with him uh, by faith next week uh, we're going to be moving into a little bit different uh, I guess subject we're going to be talking about how Jesus explains his gospel and uh, the first thing we'll be talking about is probably the second most important or second most recurring theme of his ministry and that is of repentance so i hope that you'll join me next week as we talk about repentance uh, in the gospel according to jesus let me close with prayer gracious father again we thank you for your truth we thank you father for the opportunity that we have each week to uh, to come and by virtue of of kyle and and his willingness to come and to serve and to videotape these uh, these classes uh, that we can continue to reach out and we hope oh, father that, that those who who listen are encouraged by them uh, and that we that will return next week again to hear the truth of your word in Jesus name we pray amen <laughs>